Um, so I was thinking this week about how, um, well, I guess I should say, I heard nothing but good things about Pastor Matt last week, I, although this morning I did have someone say to me, because um, I was not here last week, and they said, well, um, is the old pastor gone? And I realized they were talking about me, so um, it's a little disheartening if we're honest, but... Uh, so I was thinking about how when my kids were little, they ran this race every August, and it was called the Teddy Bear Trot, and they haven't done it for quite a while, and it's a, it's a quarter-mile race. It's not that far, right? Quarter miles, one lap around a track, and it's, but it's in Flint, in the middle of the Flint Festival of Races for the Crim, and um, it was pretty much downhill, right? I mean, it's a quarter-mile downhill. Like, that's the way all races should be, um, and there are thousands of people there for the race, and they're lining both sides of it, and as you would go downhill... You would keep running, and I mean, it was hard to mess up where to go. You can see a big finish line banner at the end. Uh, there are people, running. you can literally run with your children, and usually we had to run with our children. I'd usually run like the 10-mile race, and then I'd have to run this, which felt way longer than a quarter mile. And I would run it with them, but like they would get the in, they get their popsicle and chocolate milk or whatever else, and they felt like they really accomplished something, right? That's the kind of race we run when we are younger. Well, I decided um, last week, my... Or, Last week, I ran a race. My uncle called me a few months ago and said, hey, do you want to run this race with me uh, in August? I'm like, yeah, sure, we can do that. And um, so he and I ran a marathon a few years ago, and he did an Ironman last year. It's a whole other level of crazy. And so I said, yeah, I'll do that with you. And so we, we, he said, I said, what do I need to do to train? And he's like, well, just a few long runs. Make sure you do some push-ups and pull-ups because there's obstacles. All right, cool, we'll do that. And, and honestly, um, I didn't really read a lot about what I was doing. I knew there were a couple obstacles that included some like electroshock stuff, like up to 10,000 volts, but there were penalties, so you could skip that. So I was like, oh, I'm skipping all that. Um, but I didn't really look at stuff until about a week or two before, and I realized I needed a headlamp because it was through the night. It started at 8 p.m. and went till 8 a.m. Um, like I, I didn't read a lot on this stuff. Probably should have done that before. And so, if I'm honest with you, the journey I thought I was going to be taking was not the journey I took. But how often is that true for us in life, right? This journey we take, wherever it is we're going, right? We, we thought we were going one direction, we thought we were going to one place, but in the end we go to something different, or we think we know the course that we're on, but it begins to move us in a radically different direction, And so today, what I believe to be true for all of us is all of us have picked a perspective of faith that we live from. We all have. And so the question for you and I is, have we picked a perspective of faith that we want to continue to live in? Or I'd even say it this way. Um, For some of us, we thought the particular perspective we picked would be easy. And we're finding it's not as easy as we thought it would be. Right, so here, I, I, I love when people say, I have no agenda, because all of us have an agenda. Like, the idea that we have none is just not true. Um, but I do have an agenda. I'll be really honest about that. I think the best way to live is following after Jesus. I think that if our life is defined by the guardrails of the Christian faith, we often find that we live a life that flourishes more, that human flourishing is greater when people live by that way of life. And so, if I'm honest, I want you all to choose to live from that particular Christian story. And here's why. We all put our faith in something. All of us do. 
But the question is, where do you and I put our faith? Right, I got to be honest, there's, sometimes we, we hear Christian ease. I use that, like, it's a language that people use around Christianity that's just not helpful, honestly. Like, just have faith, it'll all work out. And so my question, if you maybe have heard that phrase, is what do you mean by work out? Let's define that, right? Like, if you're going to say everything's just going to work out, well, I mean, for my, it's going to be good, or I might have to experience suffering or pain. Like, what do you mean by work out? And honestly, I think that's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to get us to think through. What does it look like for us to live in such a way where we do have faith, but what does it mean for it to work out? Because sometimes we think it means I'm going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, right? Well, I've met lots of us, and some of us are healthy, and some of us are wealthy, and some of us are wives, but very few of us are all three of those things, right? And if you are, well, we might need to look in the mirror to go whether I am or not. I don't know which two you would prefer, but maybe you can get two of the three. But the writer of Hebrews is addressing kind of the historic Jewish faith. And he's trying to say this, hey, we've had all these people who've come before, all these people of faith, all these people who've done these great things, and it's all led to a particular place. It's all pointed forward to something else. This old covenant, this law of Moses, in particular, and the Jewish religion in general, has pointed to a particular person in time. And that person is Jesus. And Jesus has superseded all that has come before, and he's added this new covenant to this way of life we're called to live into. It's not saying the old is bad, but it's saying it's pointing to a better way forward. And so Jesus becomes the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises, a new place to put our faith. And so I love these words from Hebrews 11, verses 29, into the chapter, and chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. By faith... The people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, 
Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We probably need to talk about what comes before this passage before we get to this particular passage. In order to find faith as the writer of Hebrews does, and here's what the writer of Hebrews says is faith in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. I said earlier that all of us put our faith in something, right? At the end of the day, all of us live our life with faith in something, whether it's our retirement account, whether it's our job, whether it's Jesus, we all put our faith in something, right? At one level, even money itself, we put our faith that somehow others are going to agree that that's what that's worth and we can use it in that way. It's a level of faith. We all put our faith in something. What the writer of Hebrews is trying to say is this, these people put their faith that God is creator, That all throughout the history of Israel as a people, God has been present and people put their faith in him. And so you go back to Abraham, his faith was credited as righteousness. About Isaac and Jacob, and then we get to Joseph, right? Joseph, the the son of of Jacob, the one who became the slave, who was sold by his brothers. And yet while imprisoned, he didn't lose his faith. In the midst of circumstances that seem beyond our imagination, God used him to further the work of his people. And then we get to Moses, right? Probably the most important character of the Old Testament, honestly. And the story of Moses, right, it begins with faith, faith his mom had that God would provide safety for him and she put him in a basket in the Nile, hoping that someone from Pharaoh's household would take this baby, hoping, right, like, I don't know if you know this about the Nile, but there are crocodiles and all kinds of other things in the Nile. And they put this baby hoping and trusting that God would protect this baby. So Moses grows up in the house of Pharaoh. He is royalty. But in the midst of his faith, and because of some other stuff, he leaves. He leaves the life he has known. He leaves the place that he called home. He leaves that place and wanders in the wilderness, and God calls to him, and in faith, Moses goes back to the place he left before, but this time he goes back as a Hebrew, and he goes back, and he begins to tell people, hey, Pharaoh, you need to let my people go. Over and over again, he tells Pharaoh, there's the plagues and all these kind of scenes, right? You've seen the movies. Um, Hopefully read the Bible too, but you've probably seen the movie. So then Moses eventually leads the people out of Israel, out of captivity. God has heard their cry and he rescues them. And they leave. And as they're leaving, Pharaoh decides, "Mm, I changed my mind. I don't. I don't want them to be gone. They're free labor, right? I'd rather have the slaves. Like, I want the slaves. They're better for us. We want these slaves. And so he goes after them. But what happens instead is as they pass through the Red Sea and make it safely on dry land, Pharaoh's army is capsized. We can talk again about the Israelites marching throughout the wilderness as they wander and wander, and they're unfaithful, but God continues to be faithful. March around Jericho seven times. Crazy story, right? They don't, they don't even fight. They just win. Tells the story of Rahab. She welcomed spies, and it was to, had she done this, right, if she'd been caught, she would have been executed. 
And she did it anyway because she believed in what she was doing. And then he mentions all these people of faith, Barak and Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets. And then there's this great paragraph, right? It says, through faith, right, listen to this, they conquered kingdoms, administered justice, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames, escaped the edge of the sword. Weakness turned to strength, people brought back to life. Right, uh, but I don't know if you caught this. There's also a shift in that where it then said, others were tortured, refusing to renounce their faith. Jeers, flogging, chains, imprisonment, stoned, sawed in two, killed by the sword, wandered and hid. Remember that question I asked earlier? Just have faith because it's going to work out? What do you mean by work out? These people were great people of faith. Now, here's what I would say that I think is important for us to recognize. What they all would probably tell you if they could sit here with us today is this, but in the midst of those things, God was still present with me. See, God promises that it will work out, just not maybe the way you and I would necessarily plan. God will be present with us in the midst of our suffering and our celebration. In the midst of everything we go for, he is near. And so what's the writer of Hebrews trying to do? He's trying to paint this picture. He mentions Zechariah, who was stoned for telling the truth. We could talk about, um, you know, most kind of the history of Jewish tradition is that Isaiah was sawn in half. I know, great picture. And if these people have great faith, this could happen to them. What about us? Where do we sit in the midst of this? And this is what the writer of Hebrews wants us to begin to think about. If all these people have gone before, what about us? But what he's trying to say is this. If we will look to the past, we might have courage for the present. If we look to the past, we might find courage for the present that we can live for a better future. So all these people went before. And what are we supposed to do with that? And I love what the writer says next. It says this, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. I appreciate that the writer makes a distinction between these two things. He doesn't just say that everything is sin because some things, right, uh, are not sin. And so we could talk about, let's talk about the sin part first, right? The, um, we could talk about the Ten Commandments. It's a simple way of thinking those things are all sinful to do any of them, right? But we could talk about the Sermon on the Mount, the words of Jesus himself. We could talk about much of what Paul writes throughout the New Testament. He's trying to give us clarity on how we live as God's unique people in the world. Those are things that are clearly marked out in Scripture for us to abide by and live within. They're the guardrails of our life that we stay inside those. We seek after following Jesus. But then here's the problem for many of us. He says, then whatever hinders us. Those are not necessarily sinful things, by the way. The things that can hang us up, that can keep us hindered, what are those? Right, they're passions outside of our faith. They might be our job or our family or hobbies or money or politics or pride or athletics. None of these are bad things. But in the wrong perspective, they're destructive. Sometimes what hinders us are good things that are not God's things. Sometimes what hinders us are not Bad things, right? They're good things, they're not God things. They're in the wrong perspective. 
and often that keep us from becoming fully the image of God. We're created in the image of God and often we live into ways that keep us from living fully into what that should look like. And so I was asking the question, like, what are the things that hinder you? And I was trying to think, what, what if I'm honest about myself? What are the things that can hinder me if I'm not careful? All right, so I just thought of two personal. These are, these are me. These may not be you, so they may have nothing to do with you. But the first one is this, competition. Right, here's what I mean. I don't think it's a bad trait. Like, it's a really good trait if it gets the best out of yourselves or you want to get the best out of other people. That's a great thing. The problem is... If it's always about me comparing myself to someone else or us having me better than them, then at some point it's not the right perspective. Ambition? There's a beautiful thing when we have a holy ambition, when it's about doing God's work and for his kingdom, when it's for the right things and the right reasons. Man, it is, it is like what makes the church flourish in the world. Paul, throughout the New Testament, is one of the most ambitious people you will ever read about. He does incredible things, but it is singularly focused. However, if we're not careful, our ambitions can be about our career, our personal or family gain, and not really for the sake of the other. And then we're missing the mark completely about what a holy ambition looks like. Whatever hinders us. And then the question, are you entangled in some sin in your life? Let's run the race marked out for us with perseverance. I mentioned earlier I ran this race, and, and um, it was called, I thought it was called Tough Mudder. It was called a Toughest Mudder because it was all night. That's dumb. Um, don't plan on doing it again, by the way, just so we're clear on that. If I hear, start to talk about it, tell me not to. Um, but I, I, do, I did find two pictures online that I can prove that I did this, so I'll show you these two pictures um, and by the way, that, that shirt was gray and there was brown. That's because mud changes the color of your clothing. Um, you can show the second one too, I guess. We, there you go. Yeah, and that, um, that's below barbed wire. So it was pretty smart to do this race. And um, one guy tried to sit up a little higher and his shirt got caught. So that was not real wise. So I was thinking, I want to just read to you the list of obstacles that were in this, right, this race that was marked out. Uh, the Berlin Wall, Arctic Enema, Kiss of Mud, Mud mile, skid marked, white light. Sorry, some of these are actually funny. White lightning, pitfall, underwater tunnels, castaway, lumberjacked, well swung, Shawshanked, revenge of the beard, funky monkey, cage crawl, hanging tough, Everest, block nest monster, mutterhorn, electroshock therapy. Um, like I said, super wise move for people to do this. People have died in this thing, which I didn't know until after I was done. My uncle's like, yeah, last time I had a fever for two days. Really, you know, you learn all this stuff after the fact. So the one that got me the most was this one called Cage Crawl, where you're upside down and you're just above the water. Like, it's supposed to be 12 to 18 inches between you and the cage. It's more like six. And so my first time through, my headlamp caught, and I went under the water, and I freaked out. Right? I couldn't get air. I, I freaked out. And so I went flying back out the wrong way. I kicked my uncle in the shoulder as I went by and, and took my headlamp off and kind of caught my breath. I was like, all right, let's try this again. And so I took the lamp off this time, went back in, like mentally had to prepare myself not to be anxious, thinking I was going to drown to death um, because there's no way out once you start. There's just two ends. Like I said, you sign a lot of waivers. I didn't realize I signed three or four. I now know why. 
And so I was thinking about how, as I'm going through this, uh, I thought the worst part would be the idea of 10,000 volts. That was not the bad part, right? That, that was not bad. Um, although we got to the one where they had these like wires hanging down and we're running with my cousin as well. And he starts to go there and I look at that and I see like smoke coming out. I was like, I'm not doing that. I, they had a penalty over here where you could throw a Frisbee. I went over to the Frisbee and ran and did that instead. Um, he got done. I said, how was it? And he goes, well, I got shocked four times. It was like getting smacked in your whole body at the same time. This sounds like a terrible idea. I don't know which obstacle it was. Um, but like I said, it was at night. It was muddy. There were sticks and roots. I had cuts all over my body because there was rocks and twigs and all kinds of stuff that you can't see. But on one of the obstacles, um, I didn't think it would be that hard. And I missed the cowbell that you're supposed to tip. Well, then as I came down, my headlamp went off. Not that big a deal. There's lights. I'll be fine. Until you start running in trails in the woods that are muddy with trees and branches and you can't see. And so I yelled at my uncle. I said, hey, Scott, you, you've got to run with me. Like, I can't see. I can't see where I'm going, right? This was about mile four of a six and a half mile loop. And I said, I, I need you to run with me because I can't see where I'm going. And so he ran beside me. But every once in a while, because mud would be different spots, he'd get ahead. And all of a sudden, then I'd have to slow way down. Because I, I don't want to trip and fall. Right, the, the course probably would have been pretty easy to see in the daytime. I mean, now they had like a couple glow sticks here and there to point it out throughout the night. Right, how often is this kind of how life is? That crawling through the mud we think will be fine, right? I, I mean, I didn't realize I'm quite that muddy. I mean, I was called mudder, like you would think that. But like from head to toe, I, was, I had mud on my ear on Tuesday. Um, it's terrible. But the race was marked out as clearly as it could be sometimes. Other times you were looking for a headlamp of someone else in front of you. You were hoping you were on the right path. You kept looking for markers on the side. You kept wondering, am I in the right place, going in the right direction? Sometimes there were people helping groups of people climb over like walls and stuff. Um, I saw one group, there was like six people pushing someone over. I was like, does that even count? Um, but apparently it's okay, right? Because we can help one another. And just because something has been marked out for us doesn't mean it's easy. But if it's marked out for us, we can find out it's the correct road. You see, at the end of the day, we're all on a journey. We're all on a path. All of us have put our faith in something. Every one of our journeys will have an end. The question is, where will your journey end? That was really good timing, though. Um, we run the race marked out for us by following after Jesus. And if we don't, we run another race going in a different direction. But here's the problem for all of us. At some level, if we're not careful, we miss that Jesus wants all of us. Not part of us, not a little bit, but all of us. Everything that we are, everything that we have, everything that we desire, we're to be fully invested in following after him. We're to let go of whatever hinders us, whatever we're entangled in, whatever sin we've held on to, whatever things we have done. We're called to let go of those things and let our lives be marked out for him. And so here's what the writer of Hebrews says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. 
For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The way of Jesus is centered in selfless, sacrificial love. I told you last weekend, I ran with my uncle. The cool part was I got to spend some time with my 99-year-old grandmother. Um, I realize every day with her is a a gift because at some point they're going to end, probably closer than, or definitely closer than we were before. And so we were, we were talking, and I was talking to my grandmother, and, and um, she sends me an email. She goes, do you still get my email? She goes, my computer's not acting correctly. She sends me an email almost every week. And um, 99, some of you say, I can't figure out technology because I'm old. You have no excuses. Um, so she sent me an email this weekend, and, and I just happened to look at the title, and, and it was, she sent from her iPad, which she doesn't do very well on, but, but just the, the first line, I couldn't help but think about this morning as we were thinking about this, right? Her first line was, Fix your eyes on the cross. Right, this thing, this idea, right? My grandmother is 99. She has run almost the entirety of her race. It is almost over. I mean, I hope she's got like a decade left. That's wishful thinking. But it's almost over. No matter how you look at it, she is on the last half of this journey. You know what I never hear her talking about? Her career. I never hear her talking about politics. I never hear her talking about sports. Honestly, those things never, she might ask how my kids are doing or what someone else is going on, but what I hear her regularly talking about, hey, have, how much time have you spent in prayer lately? Hey, have, how's it going at church? Right, my grandmother, 99, she doesn't have time to waste any of that other stuff. And so the question for you and I is, what have we fixed our eyes on? What are we focused on? What are we running a race towards? This journey, though, is not meant to be navigated alone. It is not one in which we can do it by ourselves, but it is a journey in which Jesus has led the way. All of us put our faith in whatever journey we're on. Is the journey you're on the one you hope to stay on? Is the race you are running marked out clearly, or are you confused about the direction that you are going? Right, one of the things I did like about that race, and I think about this scripture, right, there were people all over and they're trying to help in certain areas, and a couple of the obstacles you probably couldn't have done without help, like they were just designed that way. But what you notice in that, especially when I lost my headlamp and I couldn't see in the dark, is I needed someone beside me. Right, there was about four of us running together, I needed someone beside me, I needed someone in front of me, because I literally couldn't see where to go. What the writer of Hebrews is trying to get across here is, listen, there have been people who have already gone before you. This great cloud of witnesses, there are people who have gone before you who are pointing the way forward for you. And then Jesus says, hey, listen, do you want to know what the journey looks like? Do you know how you run the race marked out for you? Follow me. The writer says, fix your eyes on Jesus. And here's the challenge, right? I said there are people beside me. There are people beside you and I as well. This journey of faith was never meant to be done alone. We have people who run beside us. And when we're tired, they go, hey, let's go. That's one of the cool things about those kind of long runs, whether you run something long or not, or about anything over like 10K, they typically have people just going, hey, keep it up, nice job, keep it up, keep going. You don't know who they are, they don't know you. But they know you're running the same race together and they say, hey, we've got to figure out how to finish together. We want to see you at that finish line. We want to see you live your life in such a way that at the end of your life, you'll say this, I have fixed my eyes on Jesus. 
And the cross becomes for us the place for you and I in which God says there is no place you can go, no thing you can have done, no obstacle that cannot be overcome, and no burden too big. The love of God is here for you. That's today. Let's throw off whatever is hindering us. So what's hindering you? What's keeping you from running the race that God's called you to? Is there sin in your life that you're entangled in that you know you need to escape from, but you just feel like you're overwhelmed by it? Do you wonder if it's possible to run the race in the right way? Is there something you have not confessed or you're carrying this burden, maybe it's shame or guilt or something you're engaged in, whatever it might be, God's saying, listen, you can let it go, you can run the race, it can be something that dies itself on the cross and you can follow after me. And so maybe you're just tired of running a race because you're not even sure where you're running. Or maybe today you're just literally tired. You're just worn out. You don't know if you can run another step. You don't know what direction to go. So maybe for you today, maybe you've never decided to follow Jesus. Maybe you've never decided that maybe there's a journey worth running, there's a faith worth living out. Maybe you've never decided that's true for you. And so today, maybe you can just, just do this. You can admit your need for a Savior. You can believe in Jesus. And you can commit your life to following him. Today, if you have never done that, if you've never said, God, I I can't do this. I don't know what's going on in my life, but I I need someone to save me because every step I take without you is leading me in all the wrong directions. And so God, I want to turn to you. Or maybe today you thought you did that years ago and you have done that years ago, but you need just a reminder, God, I need you. We all put our faith in something, so why not put our faith and belief in Jesus? And why not commit our life to following him? What might happen? What might happen if we recognize we're all on a journey? We're all going somewhere. All of our journeys will have an end. But where will it end? What if it might end with Jesus? What if we fixed our eyes on him and so even the day that death enters into our lives, we find that death is just the next step into eternity with Christ? What might happen if you and I lived in that way? What might happen if you and I sought him with all that we are? What if we fixed our eyes on Jesus? What if we fixed our eyes on him and we followed after him with all that we are? What we might begin to find is our life has everything seen in new perspective, that we throw off whatever hinders us or sin that entangles us, and we run this race with perseverance marked out by the person of Jesus. And so what might happen if you and I journeyed with him? What might happen if you and I ran a race with him? This morning, in just a few moments, we'll take communion together. Um, We use a phrase in the church when we take communion, we say this, we say, do you want to come to the table? The table is figurative and symbolic. We think that someday there'll be this great feast that we're all invited to eat together. Um, But the table becomes for us a place of healing, a place that unentangles us from sin, a place where we strip off those things that have hindered us, 
And so as we prep to come to the table together where Jesus had gathered his disciples together, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you, take and eat. In the same way, he took the cup, poured out his blood, and said, this is for the forgiveness of your sins, take and drink. And he invites us to this, this eternal banquet. We gather, we take this meal as a reminder of those who gather at that table, some betrayed him. Some were scared to be near him. In the midst of his love and his grace and his mercy, he invites us to keep coming to that table to accept this grace that says, whatever you have done, whatever you have carried, no longer has to be what defines your life. It truly can be the past. And maybe you have just felt so wounded by people or others. Maybe you got some bad theology growing up that, hey, if you just follow Jesus, everything will work out the way you hoped it will. Instead of like, no, it'll all work out in the end. God will be present with you. Because you know that he's present today. That he loves you. That Christ died for you so that you can know the fullness of God's love. So that you can know that you matter to him. That God desperately has a plan for your life for you to journey in a particular direction following after Jesus. If we fix our eyes on him, what we find is our life has new perspective that radically changes who we are and even whose we are. As the table becomes a place where God's grace is extended to you and to I so that we can continue to run a race with perseverance because sometimes we're just tired. Sometimes we're worn out. Sometimes we need the person beside us or behind us or in front of us, or as the writer of Hebrews says, we need that great cloud of witnesses calling us forward who've gone before. So this morning, in just a moment, as we take communion, if today you're just worn out, and today you feel like you've been running really hard and you're not sure what direction, you're not sure what has marked your life, I would encourage you to live a life seeking after Jesus. Because I'll say this about my own life, when, I, when that is what I'm fixated on, when I'm my vision is fixed on that. Everything in life makes way more sense. And when my mind begins to wander, I begin to think in other directions. I can tell you this, everything is in its wrong perspective and I know it. But if you and I will fix our eyes on Jesus, he'll help us to run a race marked out. In fact, one of the coolest things is we come to this table and God extends his grace to us. Grace, unmerited, free gift of God. We cannot earn grace. We can do nothing to to grab it, to take hold of it. It is gift through and through. And the grace of God comes to you and I and says this, you can know all of me. Will you let me have all of you? Whatever you've carried, whatever burdens, shame, guilt, sin, whatever has hindered you or entangled you, you can let it go and come to my table where you are welcome. And in God's kingdom, there's always room for one So this morning, as we take communion, may you recognize his table has room for you and me and all the rest of the world. We pray with me. Father, we come before you this morning. Somehow in the midst of the life that we're living, you come to us. You extend your grace and your love and your mercy, and we come to a table. And so, Father, this morning, we ask that you might help us to become more and more your unique people that we might truly fix our eyes on you, that we might journey together. At the end of our race, we'd have run with perseverance, 
the race marked out by your son. And so it's in his name that we pray. Amen.